I invite you now to turn with me as we go to our scripture first from Exodus chapter 20. We read verse 14, and then we flip over to Matthew chapter 5, read verses 27 through 28. So Exodus 20 verse 14 simply says, You shall not commit adultery. And then Matthew 5 a continuation of the scripture we read last week, where Jesus continues in 27 and 28, and he says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, open up our hearts by your Spirit. Help us hear the words that you speak to us this day. May it be so, and may you move in us and despite of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this Sunday, we continue a worship series. We've been gone on for a few weeks now on the Ten Commandments. And uh, we are looking at the commandment as it is presented to Moses by God out of Exodus, and then we are looking at a corresponding New Testament scripture that accompanies that commandment. And today we are on the seventh commandment, which is thou shalt not commit adultery. In 2014, uh, the website uh, which was created for the purpose of facilitating infidelity... It was in a, a scandal a few years ago as well for its data being breached and its members' information being made public. It was, it's called Ashley Madison. And uh, in 2014, they conducted a poll of their uh, members' religious affiliations. That's already oxymoronic in my opinion, but that's besides the fact. They conducted a poll of its members' religious affiliation and the results are downright disgusting. <laughs> a whopping 70% of Ashley Madison users are claiming to be Christian. Now that's spread out through different denominations and affiliations and such, but a whopping 70% of the membership of a website that is designed to facilitate infidelity are Christian. The seventh commandment says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And as we have each week, let's break down the words and create some touchstones for the message through the definitions that we get out of these words. So the Hebrew for the word adultery that we see out of Exodus 20 is the Hebrew word naoph, N-A-A-P-H, naoph. And in the Old Testament, it was a word that was defined as the voluntary sexual intercourse between a married woman or one engaged by payment of the bride piece. So this would describe the relationship between Mary and Joseph when she found out she was with child with Jesus, one who was betrothed or engaged. Between a, 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 a sexual relationship between her and a man other than her husband. 
Now, this was the definition that was used. Now, you notice what's missing there? The other part of the equation. <laughs> you got to remember, in the context of antiquity, women were still considered possessions of their husbands, possessions of men. So most definitions were centered around the actions of the wife or the female as opposed to that of the male. And, of course, in today's context, we look at it as one and the same. As adultery is adultery, it doesn't matter if it's a woman with uh, a wedded woman with an unwedded husband, a wedded woman with a wedded husband, or the wedded husband with an unwedded... If you're with me, say amen. <laughs> this was the definition in antiquity. It's the definition I'm sharing with you today, but we are on the same page that the definition has been updated. <laughs> but what's interesting to me is this. The root for the Hebrew word that means adultery, also was used to mean the word to apostatize. To apostatize. The word apostatize means to literally and totally renounce or abandon one's own beliefs. Whether they be religious beliefs, political beliefs, or other beliefs. And the root word was also used to, come, to, use, uh, to phrase the meaning of the term idolatrous worship. So the same root word that translates adultery also means to apostatize, which means to renounce your religion, and idolatrous worship. Anybody else intrigued? Say amen. So here's the question for us today, and this is, the, this is the, the trend that we have seen throughout our study of the Ten Commandments. The question is this, what separates humanity from the rest of creation? We, as humans, were set apart by God. We, as humans, were sanctified by God. Now, the word sanctified is just a fancy holy word that literally means to be made holy. We are made holy by God. And the definition of holy is what? Belonging to God. We were made belonging to God. By this virtue, there are several uh, certain aspects of humanity that are also sanctified or set apart by God. One is our lives. We talked about last week when we talked about thou shalt not murder, that our lives as humans are precious to God. Our lives literally are set apart by God. And the other aspect of humanity that is also set apart by God that we are talking about today is marriage. That means that, that God cares about our relationships. God cares about the bonds that are established in those relationships. These bonds were designed by God, and also God cares about the way we interact inside and outside of those relationships. God cares because God set us apart and said, you belong to me because you are that precious to me. So the foundation for the sanctity 
of marriage and of sex is laid early in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. So let's take a look at this scripture real quickly. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. I'll tell you, Adam had an imagination with some of the names that he came up with. So the man gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every animal of the field. But for the man there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man, the, uh, out of man this one was taken. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. Just as God instituted life in Genesis chapter 1, God gave wife in Genesis 2. That, kind of, that rhymed. That could almost be a rap song, right? God gave life, then God gave wife. That's about all the rapping I'm going to do. God instituted our lives, and then God instituted our relationships that we are called to have. And then God instituted and sanctified the marriage relationship specifically. God created the bond, and then God sealed, created the seal of the relationship. The sexual union of Adam and Eve consummated their marital union and the seal that was created by God and designed by God. Thus, there is implied here a, sancti uh, that there is implied here a sanctity of both the marriage itself and the sexual relationship that exists in the marriage. Are you with me this morning? Say amen. From the very beginning to, uh, of, of creation, to commit adultery was to violate the sanctity of marriage. Folks, you have heard this a hundred times, and I want you to hear it again because it's pertinent every week. We are so valuable to and set apart by God that God not only cares about our relationship, but God cares about our relationship with other people as well. God cares about our love with God. God cares about how we love other people. We learned last week people are precious to God. And people's relationships with one another, therefore, are precious to God. We have been constantly reminded throughout this series about what Jesus said is most important. 
when it comes to following the commandments. His response summarized the Ten Commandments. God's response was, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. We've heard this almost every week for this series, have we not? It's because it's that important. Loving our neighbor means having healthy relationships with other people. It means acting in a way with other people that we would act with God. It means acting with other people in a way that Jesus would act with other people. God wants us to love one another, and we cannot do that if we are actively breaking those relationships. Adultery is a breaking of the marriage bond, the marriage covenant. You know what a covenant is? A covenant is something that has a beginning but has no ending until death. A contract is something that is uh, signed, has a set terms, then has a set end date. A covenant has a set start, has set terms, but has no end date. A covenant is everlasting. When we commit... Acts which violates the sanctity, the covenant of marriage. When we are unfaithful to our spouses, then we are also being unfaithful to God. Everybody take a, collect, a collective ouch moment. Now what we have been looking at is what the command is saying, what the command is not saying. Again, perhaps you're sitting thinking... Well, I have no plans to commit any of these actions, so I'm good. I'm protected. I have no desire or ever will, and I know I can say it for a fact that I will never break this commandment. Jesus, yet again, reveals the principle, the idea behind the words on paper, the precept. Jesus reveals that if we are to view the actions of the commandment as evil, as sinful, then we must first consider, deal with, control the emotions, the feelings, and the attitudes that incline us toward the action. Is that something you remember hearing last week for those who were here? <laughs> it's the same concept. And you'll see these throughout the second list of six commandments. Jesus cares about our actions, but Jesus cares even more about our hearts. What Jesus is saying is if we desire something so much that we would act on it, that we were willing to act on it if given the opportunity, then that is the attitude that leads to adultery. So then the question becomes, so how am I supposed to keep this commandment, particularly uh, when society yet again 
is dead set that the actions which God is saying violates the commandment are seen as the norm of society. How am I supposed to do this? Sisters and brothers, sex in our world is primarily about what pleasure we can get and give. And marriage is the result of giving and getting too much too soon. In a Christian marriage, sex is about how we give ourselves to someone else so that we might be forever bonded with that person as we commit to living holy lives together. Unity. One flesh. Under God. That's the whole reason God instituted sex in the first place. So what does this mean for us today? Why is this pertinent? And most importantly, for those who may be thinking and asking, or know someone who's thinking and asking, what if I've already messed up? What if I've already missed the mark? Folks, sex was designed, instituted, and created by God to be a positive force in our lives. But our world it has become a form of oppression. It has become a source of regret, and it has become a place of brokenness. Scripture tells us the misuse of sex isn't something new, but it's plagued every single generation. You know, there are quite a few scriptures throughout the Old Testament that address adultery, that address sex. Most of these are found in Leviticus, and most are restrictions. Some of these are still of great debate today. And whether or not we agree with all of them, the original intent of these was to help the Israelites live sexual lives that were less broken. God's commandments are designed to help us live lives that are less broken. When Jesus came, he strengthened the need for sexual purity as we read in today's scripture with what he said. But at the same time that he strengthened the need for, for keeping sex inside of God's framework, he also reiterates John 8, 1 through 11. This is a very important passage for our topic today, so I want you to hear it and see it. John 8, it's actually 2 through 11, hear this. Early in the morning, he, Jesus, came again to the temple. All the people came to him and sat down, and he began to teach, he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and making her stand before all of them. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. But Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he, questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing beside, before him. Jesus straightened up 
and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Then neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. I like how the King James Version says that. It says, Now depart from me and sin no more. This woman had had her life broken by sex, but Jesus finds a way to maintain the goal of sexual purity while at the same time extending grace to those who are broken by sin. Jesus had compassion for all people. Jesus forgives all people because all people are precious to God. The cries of our children are precious to God. The actions of our children are precious to God. The actions of adults and the relationships that are involved in those actions are precious to God. We all have the chance to receive the grace of God and to not be condemned by God. But as God said to the woman, to go and to sin no more. How many of us will fall short of something this week? All of us. When we do, we need the high expectations of Jesus. But we also need the high grace offered by God. Because God is so good. I'm going to, y'all are going to be on it one Sunday and surprise me. Because God is so good. We don't have to be perfect because Jesus was. And this is the gospel message for us today. Yes, we have high expectations to live by. Our relationships were established, designed, set apart by God. And we're called to live within those. But God knows that we, as humans, will mess up. And when we do, there is grace. Because we are that precious to God. This is the gospel message this day. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.